Uh, can you state your name? Yes, this is Suazette. Yes. How have you been impacted by hate? Well, um, I'm definitely, um, I guess you would say a result of a biracial marriage. My father is white, and he's from the West Coast. He's definitely a cowboy with horses and things like that. Um, then my mother's black. You know, she's like the soul sister. She's all about her blackness. So somehow, someway, that our couple got together, and they had me. Well, growing up as a young girl, um, first of all, I was raised in the South. I started off in the South. I started off in Charleston. And... You know, we we grew up in the hood. But my mother would always protect me and say, you can only go out after a certain time. You can't go to certain people's house. I couldn't play with certain people because they always were hating on, quote, unquote, the light-skinned girl. I didn't know that I was different than everybody else. I thought I was black like everybody else. But apparently there was a difference in me. I didn't really start to see that until I moved when I was seven to go live with my father. I wasn't white enough for the whites, and I wasn't black enough for the few black people who were over there. Right. So, I mean, it's it's kind of wild. It's kind of crazy. I moved back when I was 14, and, oh, my God, I saw it in full stream. You're, you know, 14, freshman in high school, you know, light skin, long hair. I'm thinking I'm black like everybody else, but apparently I'm not the same black as them. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty much basically it in living, learning how to live and cope you know, how black is black and how yeah. white is white <laughs> and finding my identity in between. How difficult was it for you to establish your identity being basically a product of two worlds? Well, I'm going to put it like this. I am definitely a chameleon. There's certain ways that I talk when I'm around my father and there's certain ways that I talk when I'm around my mother. Of course, you know, we're going to put the, the country twang, the southern slang, all of that into the mix when I'm around my black friends and my black family because that's how we do. But, of course, when I go around my family, my white family, I don't talk like that because, for one, they're not going to understand anything that I say. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, my gosh, yes, of course, you know, you know, talking like, you know, what they say, a white girl. You know, you just do what you do. You stick in the middle. But when it comes down to it, I know that I see myself as being a black person. I don't see myself as being, you know, a biracial or this or that. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people call me just a light-skinned black person. I mean, it is what it is. How are you currently treated in your community? Currently, like a black woman. They they don't see any difference. And the only time that they really see a difference is, is when I say something about my dad or we go camping or we go fishing or we go riding horses. And they be like, what? You do what? I'm like, yeah, you know, camping. Didn't you go camping? They was like, no. <laughs> so, you know, like that. <laughs> Oh, okay, okay. Wow. <clears throat> so, hate. It seems like, you know what I'm saying, that I really didn't hear anything about hate per se. So basically, you you basically got through this life, got through this way of yourself being a, a biracial um, makeup. It hasn't really had an impact of hate. You haven't felt like hurt well, based on this. Is that what you're saying? I have, well, I, I'm going to put it like this. Nobody really knew how to handle me as who I am. I'll give you a perfect example. My aunt on my mother's side, my mom's sister, she came up to me when I first came back from Idaho living with my dad. She said, 
how do you love your white family? And I was like, what you mean how I love my white family? I love my white family just like how you love your black family, you know? But then, you know, on the white side of that, you know, I remember I was seven years old and I was going to school and this older white boy, he had to be at least three or four years older than me, he walked past me and he spit on me. And I couldn't understand why he spit on me for the life of me. And I went home crying, told my daddy. My daddy was like, oh, it's because you're different, Anasha. And I'm like, well, what do you mean different? So I never, I couldn't understand it until I got to high school and I finally saw how different people made me be, not the difference that, you know, I was unique because I was Anasha, not unique because, you know, I was black and white, you know. Well, if you could give our listeners one piece of advice on this subject, what would that advice be? Um, definitely find your own identity um, in the mix. Don't let anybody else define you for who you are. Um, I do have biracial friends who tend to be more, I guess you would say, the white culture. And then I have biracial friends who tend to be on the black culture. And then I have, you know, biracial friends who straddle the fence. Like I do, I straddle the fence. Sometimes I'm a total white girl, sometimes I'm a total black girl. But definitely find something that makes you comfortable. And if somebody's not comfortable with who you are in your whiteness or your blackness or in your identity, shake them off. It's not their life. It's your life. You live it. You love yourself. And that's the only thing you can live for is you. I agree with that. Great advice. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing your story with us today. Absolutely. Definitely. Thank you for calling. We appreciate you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate that. Hello, caller. Can you state your name? This is DJ Tripp. DJ Tripp. DJ Tripp for Charleston. How you doing? I'm chilling. How you doing? Hey, just loving life. But actually, maybe I'm hating life since that's today's subject. You'd like to name an incident of hate that you have experienced or are currently experiencing? Yeah, hate, hate. I'm, I'm getting hated from, from so many different angles. Like, mm-hmm. this, this is a perfect topic for me because I kind of live in two worlds or three worlds actually. Seeing though I do gay and lesbian parties and I do teen parties and then I do regular parties. Right. So, in the gay and lesbian world, most, the most recent uh, situation I had is I was out of town. I get a phone call that another female DJ is in the club screaming, fuck me. And I, right. and I curse. Excuse me, you going to bleep that out? <laughs> Just do what you do, baby. We take care of it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, another, another female DJ was in the club screaming at me along with a local female artist. Mm-hmm. And it's like, as far as the local female artist was concerned, I never even met her in my life. Couldn't identify her in the police lineup. And as far as the female DJ was concerned, like, I was showing love, going to the little events or whatever, you know, reaching out to them. Because I I know it's hard for women in this industry, especially mm-hmm. being right. a gay woman also. But it's like, sometimes I feel like a lot of a lot of women see where I am with this DJ thing, and they kind of expect for me to carry everybody, which right. I, I try to do. I, I fault myself because a lot of times when I do events and if they're in the club, I give everybody a chance in the booth. If people know you, if they don't know you, this might be the first time you ever played outside of your bedroom, but because I know it's hard for women, and we're not going to walk up in, in any local 
Pops and, and any other male DJs just going to call us up there like that. So I feel obligated sometimes to play my part and bring them up there. And with this particular female DJ, I don't know what, where it came from or what it was about, but basically, like, they mad. And I, I can't figure out. Like, I don't know what to do because it's hard work. Like, people think, like, this is some magic wand that I'm waving and people, and I get phone calls or I'm doing parties or I'm in this club and that club. But it's hard work. It, I get a lot of no's before I get a yes. I right. just don't stop. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of people, they get discouraged. And, you know, after a few nightclubs, so not every club in Thompson told me no. But after a few nightclubs tell them no, they, they start reconsidering the thought of maybe wanting to get into the industry. And then, like, from from another perspective, with the straight people, of course, that's a different type of hate because then I got to deal with the whole lesbian thing. And I, especially when I first started DJing, a lot of people would, they were blatantly honest and tell me, you know, I think you're a good DJ, but I just, I don't want you to DJ for me because you're gay and I don't want them dice in the club. Right. And people would be surprised, like, how many people party in spots where they really not welcome. And they spending money, yeah, but but inside, the club owner is not happy to see you there. But I don't right. put them on blast. Maybe I should. But, I mean, hey, that, I, 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 certain things I just throw out. You got to pick and choose your battles, and that's not one I'm willing to fight on a regular basis. So I leave it be. But um, you your, your sexuality is singling you out uh, from being maybe as successful as you could be? Because I, I know of your skills. I have a couple of your mixtapes, and you're definitely a good um, DJ. Do you think that you're being singled out because of your sexuality, because you wear and you wear pride, pride? Definitely, I, and and because like like I'm gay for real. I'm not I'm not industry gay. I'm not Nicki Minaj. I I like girls that dance with girls gay. It's not cute. It's not pretty. Like I'm not dressing up and and pretending to be a Barbie doll type gay. Like this is really and truly how I live my life. So to me, it's secondary when it comes to working. But for other people, it's the first thing they notice. And and for your calling, I mean for your listeners, because I'm butch. That's what y'all would call it. In the, in the lesbian community, we call it a stud. Because I am a stud and I'm coming into my rockerwears and my white tee and I ain't got on heels and my breasts ain't hanging out, all of that plays into, oh, this is not what I was envisioned when I heard you were a lesbian. Right. You know? So it definitely is a hindrance for me as far as crossing over or getting more gigs, and even with radio. I believe 100% that that's why I'm not on radio, <laughs> because of the, the whole gay thing. Mm-hmm. So is it fair to say that gay is the new black? Gay? Yeah. Oh. I don't know. That's a hard question. I mean... Like, I, I think that whatever the hip-hop community, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Whatever they they make seem cool, I guess people gravitate towards that for the time being. But then again, there can always be a backlash. And for people who pretending to be gay because it's hot right now, like, 
I hope they're willing to deal with the repercussions of that when it's not so cool anymore. Right. And, and that's not really who you are. Right. Yeah, I so, understand. Yeah. Well, thank you, DJ Tripp, for sharing your um, experience with hate. And I hope, hopefully, people will start opening their minds and resolve some of the issues around hate. Because you know, when you hate others, sometimes this underlying cause you're really hating yourself, and sometimes maybe right. the people that's pointing the finger with hating have an underlying feeling of maybe they feel they're that way or have experienced something in regards to that way. So, hopefully, these things can be resolved because hating is never never good for anybody. Never, never. Hey, and your listeners can check me out on MySpace, man, if you don't mind me putting that out there. Okay, go ahead and do your plug. MySpace.com, your DJ trip. Y'all check me out. Mm, Facebook? Thank you. All right, thank you. All right. And here's another perspective. Caller, can you give us your perspective in regards to the subject of hate, your experience with it, or anything in connection with it? Well... I actually grew up as a military brat, and not until about 12 years old I realized when I came to Charleston that racism does still exist, that people still did have a problem with others just due to the fact of their skin tone. Um, Like I said, I grew up in the military. It was never even questioned. It was never brought up. Everybody was mixtures. Everybody. It was literally a melange of ethnicities all around you all the time. I first learned the word red as a reference to a skin tone, yellow as reference to a skin tone. Um, And personally, I was met with three aggressive young ladies I've never met before, first day in school, second day in Charleston, who said, quote, unquote, she thinks she cute because she red. I had no idea what this meant. My father is also from Charleston, but he was in the military, left, and we came back. And I had to go home and ask him to clarify. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that, wow, racism really still does exist. So I've honestly spent the, since then, my life explaining to people that it doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what your sexuality is. It doesn't matter if you have green eyes, blue eyes. It doesn't matter if you have nappy hair, thin hair. You know, it. It's who the person is, right. and it's taken time, but I'm beginning to see in like specific groups that it's becoming a little bit easier, but not all groups, not all sections of society are beginning to accept this new idea or what we think is a new idea, but it really is just common sense to me and common knowledge. Right. So, I have dealt with it, and I am of, (laughs) I'm Dutch, Irish, Welsh, Scottish, Indian, German, and black. And in layman's terms, I'm mulatto. I'm half black and half white. Right. I've always been asked, do you consider yourself black or white? I consider myself neither. I consider myself both. Right. But I consider myself me, first off and foremost. And I really do believe that if people are brought up and people bring their children up to believe that, then racism would pretty much disappear across the board. Well, thank you, Carla, for sharing your perspective. 
And that's no problem. problem. Thank you for listening. And Olive, can you tell me about your experiences with pain? Yes, um, as a person of multi-ethnic background, I feel like a lot of people have a tendency to want to define people based on what they look like. And, you know, a lot of times people kind of judge what they don't understand. Mm-hmm. And so growing up, you know, a lot of people would say, well, what are you? You know, and because I have black and white and from Native American, you know, I don't necessarily look like a lot of people may look. And mm-hmm. so, you know, there is just a lot of, I think, misunderstanding on the part of my peers. And um, I think that it wasn't until I came to college that I, you know, came upon my own sense of acceptance and uh, kind of really kind of went into my own natural look. But um, even at the college, though, there have been people who, you know, I've met resistance just with people who are small-minded and ignorant. You know, I've met with racial slurs and things upon that nature. It's very disconcerting to me that, you know, people are in their own... Because that's how they're raised, you know. You want to... You want to meet them with, you know, anger, but you have to realize that that's just kind of what they were brought up with, too, so... Right. Well, it seems like you got to a level within yourself, I don't know how old you are, in which that you've accepted that I'm not, you're not going to be judged by anyone's other's interpretation of yours, but you accepted that their ignorance is theirs and that they need to own it on their own, and you're not going to accept it as your own reality. Right. Um, I'm 21, and... Um, even in my short years, I feel like I've come to a place of peace. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, it's just, I feel like earlier on, you know, I'm talking elementary, middle school. I spent a lot of time worrying, you know, a lot of anxiety, talking to my mom, talking to my family members about just wanting to fit in and wanting people to, you know, like me for me, but also just almost wanting to blend in. But now, I think it's wonderful to be able to, you know, to stand out, to be your own person and to be unique. And I think that there's something unique about everyone. And, you know, if everyone can take that away and just kind of live with that message, I think the world would be a lot a lot healthier, a lot better, a happier planet. Right. right. I agree. Is there one incident of hate that stands out in your mind? Uh, yes. They, uh, I was at a party one night, and this one particular guy had had too much to drink, and he was spouting off insults to his girlfriend, and it was just a dangerous situation for everybody involved. And mm-hmm. so some friends and I, in order to remove her from that, that situation, um, you know, we were trying to get the car, get her out of there, get her to go, and my friend and I, she's um, mixed Hispanic and Arabic ethnicity. We were the only two minorities at this party. And so he just starts spouting off at the mouth, calling me the N-word. And, um, you know, I think there might have been someone who was Jewish there, starts talking about the Holocaust in a very hateful manner. Just, just hateful things, you know. Some of the things I'd never, never even heard of. Right. So, um... You know, but even after that incident, I just couldn't let that become a part of my psyche. 
And right. so I've seen this individual three times before, and it started to eat at me a little bit, but I had to let it go. And, and since then, we've actually had a conversation about it. I ran into him at the grocery store and stood behind him and made him a little bit uncomfortable. And he turned around and he didn't say anything. And finally I said, it wouldn't be so bad if you had just apologized. Right. And so um, we were able to come to a place of healing because of that, because I could tell that he was so ashamed of that night because he'd had too much to drink. Right. And not to say that he doesn't still feel that way, you know, but at least he apologized and at least he was made to feel that shame. Right. You know. So I feel like I don't have to feel bad about it. You know, I'm at a place of peace and that's all that matters to me. Well, thank you for sharing your perspective of hate today. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. All right. All right, caller. You have a perspective on um, how white should prejudice again? Yes. Um, I think that one very interesting prejudice that I think a lot of people probably overlook is interracial dating. Mm-hmm. And it's very sad to me because, you know, we've come so far and we're finally at a place where it's not illegal to interracial date. But I find, um, as a black woman, you know, and um, coming from multi-ethnic backgrounds, that a lot of black men and um, black women as well find it unacceptable for me to be um, dating white men. And I'm not exactly sure, you know, what the perspective is on that from all other sides, you know, because I date men of all different ethnicities and, you know, color to me, I'm colorblind, it doesn't matter, mm-hmm. you know, but I've been on the street before just walking with the, the white man that I was dating and um, kind of been verbally assaulted on the street by um, a couple of black men that were passing with a, why are you with him? You know, that type of thing. And it just, it makes you feel bad for the white guy that right. you're walking with. And... It makes you feel bad because it's almost like, well, am I doing something wrong? Am I doing something that I need to apologize for? And the answer is no, you know. So. Do you, um, how do you feel, think the, um, the man that she was with, how do you think that he felt? Or did he speak to you about the situation or did he just let it, let it dissolve? Did you have any communication in regards to that particular incident? We did. I think that he felt a bit inoculated. Mm-hmm. You know, I definitely do. That I tried to kind of comfort him and reassure him about it, and you know, but it's one of those things that I really don't think that he would have said anything for himself. I think I think I remember saying something to the black men about it, like it's none of your business or keep moving. But he didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. He just kept walking. You know, he walked kind of looking a little bit ashamed. I know he wasn't ashamed to be with me. He was very proud to be with me. But it's almost like he couldn't look the black men in the eye. He wasn't going to step to them. That type of thing. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. And how did you feel? I guess it's just one of those things that, you know, makes me feel like who I date is nobody's business but my business. Mm-hmm. You know, so I kind of feel like I'm part of 
walking around feeling like I have to defend who I want to date to the world, you know, because um, I'm currently not dating anyone now, and, you know, it's just kind of anyone's guess who the next person or the next race is what that person will be who I date. Right. But it almost seems like, you know, oh, i got to take into consideration, you know, what people's thoughts are, but it's like, you know, who cares? We're all just humans. That's right. So, you know, I hope that people will, people's state of mind will evolve mm-hmm. to a place where they don't have to be concerned about that kind of thing. I hope so, too, but I don't foresee any time in the future. <laughs> well, I really hope that something will happen. Okay. Well, thank you, Carla, for um, sharing your perspective on the subject of the color of hate. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. This policy is valid from January 4th, 2019. This podcast is a personal podcast written and edited by F. Christopher Blue and his conglomerates at morethantherapy.org. For questions about this podcast, please contact staff at morethantherapy.org. The podcast accepts form of cash advertising, sponsorship, paid insertions, or other forms of compensation. The compensation received may influence the advertising content, topics, or posts made in this podcast. That content, advertising space, or post may not always be identified as paid or sponsored content. The owners of this podcast is compensated to provide opinion on products, services, websites, and various other topics. Even though the owners of this podcast receives compensation for our posts or advertisements, We always give our honest opinions, findings, beliefs, or experiences on those topics or products. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are purely the podcast's own. Any product claim, statistic, quote, or other representation about a product or service should be verified with the manufacturer, provider, or party in question. This podcast does not contain any content which might present a conflict of interest.